Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Ravelin Fraud Academy podcast. Growing a successful business is hard. When you're focused on adding customers as fast as possible, what happens when you're hit with fraud? In this episode, we talk to someone who has been through that exact experience. Terry Runham, one of the founders of Halo, the taxi app that revolutionized the ride-hailing business, discusses how fraud impacted the business and the steps they took to counter it. Welcome, Terry, to the uh, Ravelin Fraud broadcast. Thank you, Jerry. Good to see uh, you. Yeah, Terry, um, you were the founder, uh, one of the founders of uh, Halo, of course. And uh, while we're not a startup uh, podcast, I think it might be interesting to look back at the early days of, of where Halo started from and uh, you know how quickly it grew and what that growth looked like. Mm. Give us some background there. Yeah, sure. So it really started for me um, and two of the other fans back in 2009 when we came up with an idea of a um, of a website where passengers and drivers could could connect and um, decide what price they wanted to pay, mm-hmm. um, and from there it really um, uh, grew uh, with a driver base um, through 2010 until we were contacted by Ron J and Casper, um, and uh, from there we we spent a lot of time together discussing the taxi industry. So Ron and Jay Casper, Ron Jay Casper uh, yeah. were the other three um, founders. Oh yeah, on the yeah. business side, okay. along with myself, yeah. Gary and Russell, okay. Gary Jackson and uh, Russell Hall. Um, yeah, and and we just hit it off really well. And you know, from there we we just um, got a room on a boat, the HMS mm-hmm. uh, President on the Thames, and it was probably about just as big as this room here. Yeah. Um, and and from there we started building the app um, and and really designing what what we wanted from a driver's point of view and from a passenger's point of view. Um, yeah. And it, it grew really quickly. Uh, once the funding came in and the tech guys started coming on board, um, we soon outgrew that room. And, and um, I think within probably six to eight months, we, we basically took over the whole of the boat. Um, and uh, yeah. it was, it was, it How many was, people is that are you talking about going um, from? It must have been from six up to... Uh, 30 to 35 pretty damn quickly in about six months so you were going from one like no rides a day to yeah so when, when we launched in uh, November 2011 it, we had done a few you know a few test rides and, and we had a what we did was we we built a a, a driver base yeah. that was that was the key you know right. we had about six to eight these are, these are London cabbies right? London cabbies yeah. yeah six to eight hundred drivers using the app um, with family and friends on the passenger side and um, yeah we went pretty quickly uh from November 2011, maybe, it's hard to really understand, uh, remember really, maybe 50, 60 rides a day, yeah. up to thousands within wow. within months. We all the press um, and family and friends uh, spreading, the, spreading the word and, yeah. and going viral, really. I think I started using the service around then. It really was revolutionary at that time. I mean, it, this it was. pre-Uber, which people kind of forget and been able to see your cab, where it is. And Pre-Uber in London, time. yes. Pre-Uber in London, yeah, yeah. yeah. And at the time when, when we launched, there was probably about six to eight other apps out there trying to do the same thing. Yeah. So it was quite a cutthroat um, business at the yeah. time. You know? But you guys, I mean, you got the you got the the early, the early success. I mean, you got the initial, um, I guess what we call now scale up. You know, from you know a few rides a day to to, to many thousands, and that brings you know just relating it back to fraud. I mean, this brings um, uh, this brings its own issues. Um, I mean, when did you start to see uh, fraud emerge? What were the sort of canaries in the coal mine that made you think we might have a problem here? Yeah, I suppose it, it really came to our attention um, quite early, probably um, early to mid 2012, mm-hmm. um, when 
the way that we really found out about the fraud initially was drivers telling us, right. um, you know, our, our supply, basically letting us know that they felt that there was something not quite right about the job they was doing, mm-hmm. um, and as well as the chargebacks. You know, yeah. Um, once they started to scale up quite a lot, then we obviously knew we had a problem, yeah. um, which needed to be dealt with. I mean, and what did you guys do specifically to combat initially? Was this... Um, so, having um, knowledge of, of being a taxi driver, we yeah. would we would basically look at live jobs um, yeah. as they was happening and basically use our experience and knowledge to see whether that looked um, a bit suspect mm-hmm. um, and then taking actions by speaking to the driver um, and really understanding from his point of view if he felt that there was an issue yeah, um, and then dealing with it if, if there was. So, I mean, did you do much sort of chargeback analysis? Was that part of the process or was it more trying to get a real just manual understanding of what was happening? I think it was more of a manual understanding from from our point of view um, because we was really at the coalface. In those early days, it was very much um, us um, having that good relationship with the drivers and I think that's why they came to us quite early with with any issues because, because what it was, because we was one of the first who really took hold of the market they they yep. felt like they was part of it so having that that relationship and that and that good law community was was something that was really important so i think we see that a lot when we see it with um um a lot of the people who are our clients now they start trying to sort of really manually understand what's going on and make some manual interventions and stop it through whatever mm. process they can um i mean i think it's great to get that understanding but i mean what advice would you give them from a sort of a systematic point of view okay we we have a problem I think we have an understanding of what it looks like but how do we deal with it I mean what advice would you give to people who are you know seeing this problem now and seeing it grow yeah I guess my advice would be uh, basically you know if, if you're starting to see it then you've got a problem um, and manual intervention can only go so far yeah you know as soon as you start scaling up and, and you, you your database of users starts becoming into the the hundreds of thousands, the tens of thousands, mm-hmm. then you're you're going to start seeing a lot more fr- a lot more suspicious activity that you you can't really deal with manually because it's just unscalable. I mean, yeah. you know, especially if you've got a business that's twenty four hours, you can't sit in front of a computer screen looking at you know jobs or or, or um, things that are going on twenty four hours a day, and, and it's mm-hmm. just something that you you need to um, deal with with a system change. So you got, I mean, is the systems change getting, going to a vendor or is it making a, a hire? I mean, I think at Halo you made a specific hire to sort of deal with this problem. Was that the sort of the first step and the step you recommend or would you, would you look at sort of, will I go and get a supplier to try and solve this problem or? Um, it, it's, it's really, it's really strange because, you know, we went out and we found Martin O'Reader. Mm-hmm. Um, but although it was only five years ago, it seems like a lifetime away. And five yeah. years ago, how many vendors were actually out there dealing with this kind of thing um, on demand for all mm. in the taxi industry, especially because True. it was it, this was new, you know. Yeah. So it was hard to find that external vendor to deal with it. So that's why we had to bring someone in house with with experience in in um, in fraud, um, yeah. which which was Martin. Um, and Martin came in, um, implemented his processes, and, and we worked re- really closely with Martin and. And we we did our best to, to stop it um, as much as we could. So within Halo, at least, it's sort of I many issues that bubbled up. I guess this at a board level, this was something that was discussed at the at a senior level as something that needed to be to be invested in and addressed. Do you think that's 
I mean, it, it took a while, I think, for it to get there. Is that correct? It, it did take a while, yeah. I, I think that the problem with um, startups mm-hmm. then, and, and probably some startups now, they, they build into their into their budget, um, you know, loss, uh, loss a budget for losses, yeah. uh, you know, for, yeah. for, for, for potential fraud, um, which which is which is ridiculous, really. I mean, why why should you have a, a budget for fraud when yeah. when you can when you can try and um, and stop it? You know, did you and have because um, there is a, there is I, I agree. Um, obviously, from our perspective, we are biased, but um, <laughs> we do see a lot of you do see an argument, and you hear it quite regularly that people don't care uh, that that they're focused on top line growth. That they you know even if this even they sign up ten thousand customers in a month, even if two thousand of them are fraudulent bogus you know, accounts yeah. uh, there for nefarious reasons, that's okay. Um, it's a loaded question, but I mean, you think that's a sustainable strategy, Terry? Should <laughs> uh, people it's, be changing their uh, approach? Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not. You know, the top lines are one and good, but if, if you've got leaks, then eventually they're going to they're come to the surface and you're going to have to explain them. And, uh, you know, I think you need to try and plug those holes up as soon as possible. Because at the end, it, it's still always going to affect your bottom line Yeah. at the end of the day, you know. Yeah. Doesn't matter how you try and disguise it; it's, it's always it's always going to be affecting it. Yeah, I do. I do think that's that's something that people need to have a more realistic assessment of because it's yeah. you know we, we we still hear it all the time that you know mm. this is going to has going to affect my top line growth and we go oh, well it's actually going to help your bottom line profitability that yeah, might be more important exactly, even exactly. I, I definitely think that it's become more uh, well it's definitely become more important over the last few years mainly because you know I think fraudsters have become much more in the public eye. Yeah. Um, and you know, especially with credit card fraud, you know, because yeah. it, it seems like it's so easy to to commit it um, that I think people become much more aware of it. Did you over the time um, and you know you've now left Halo and doing something else? We'll come to in a second. But in, in the time you were there dealing with this issue, and did, did you see fraud evolve, become more sophisticated, change in its nature, or is it just more people doing the same, um, you know, the same sort of blunt attacks? Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I think it was a bit of both. I mean, we, we saw a lot of um, a lot of network sharing uh, information, cards, yeah. email addresses, account details, and which which was obviously hard to um, deal with mm-hmm. unless you know until you implement those those certain um, processes. Yeah, uh, becoming more sophisticated, I guess so. Yes, um, in terms of the the fact that they. Started to, to know when they could use it, you know, right. peaking off peak times. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there was even cases where we saw cross, I don't know, cross company um, fraud at the same time. You know, they okay. were using, you know, multiple apps, multiple apps yeah. at the same time with the same details. Um, one last question on this topic, Terry. If you, someone came to you and asked you, what's your number one piece of advice? I've got this fraud problem. What's the number one thing I should do? What do you think? What would you tell? Oh, uh, my my first piece of advice would be to call you Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was yeah. unsolicited. Uh, yeah. um, no, uh, definitely. Def- oh, sorry, definitely try and catch it early because, yeah. um, like I said, you you may think that you've got a, a leak which is just a drip, but as soon as you turn into a full blown um, burst, and and you're, you you want to make sure you got it under control before before it becomes a problem. Okay. Deal with the problem before it comes a problem. Great. Um, so you moved on from Halo now. You're now doing something else. Do you want to tell us a little bit about? Yeah. That? So I'm now working in the insurance industry for a company called um, Isle of Man Insurance. So my role is to um, uh, 
spearhead their insure tech offering and basically deal with uh, the um, the startup community and, right. and really cater to their needs, um, cyber security, um, you know, all different kinds of insurance. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's going really well and um, things, are, things are looking up. So, so if they're insure tech startups listening to this, they should get in touch with you. Tell yes, you they should do. Yeah, by you. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I'll be um, knocking on a lot of doors um, over the next few months. Okay, great. Thanks. Thank you for your time. Thanks for joining us. You can find the Ravelin Fraud Academy podcast on both iTunes and SoundCloud. Till next time.